Hey, welcome back to the episode of the Good Advice Podcast. It's great to have you here on our show today, tuning in to what I think is the best resource for entrepreneurs, startup founders, business leaders, and hey, even some of you managers out there, even if you're not running your own business, we have some good leadership advice for you today. In fact, we're going to be talking about some leadership today. Uh, This is something that is absolutely a main passion of mine. Now, I was looking back at some of our older episodes. We haven't actually talked about leadership in a while. We haven't really gotten into this in a while. I say in a while. It's actually been like a few weeks. <laughs> so, uh, but, but, you know, I, I think when we talk about growing a business, we inevitably get to the conversation of managing people. And this is an important thing to talk about, uh, over the years, uh, just in terms of my own professional career, uh, I have coached and worked with, and even myself managed teams up to 30, 40, 50 people. So uh, leadership is something that I deeply care about. It's something that we're, we're, we got to talk about it again and again, uh, only because, I mean, this is the thing that determines the rise and fall of business. In fact, getting into today's episode, we're going to be talking about why businesses succeed and why they struggle. And unfortunately, whichever result that is, why you are the one who's largely in charge of that. If the business does well, if it does not so well, if you are the leader, it's your job to helm the ship. We're going to be talking about all of that today, including what we do about pay with our employees. How do you motivate people well? All that and more is on today's episode. But before we dive in, of course, we got to have a word from one of the amazing businesses that sponsor the podcast. By the way, if you've been looking for a place to advertise your business, you can reach out at Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. And if you're on the Patreon, if you're subscribed to the Patreon, You're actually able to skip this ad and go straight to the episode. Whatever the case may be, we're going to be diving in shortly. Stay tuned. Talk to you soon. We talk to all sorts of business owners on the podcast, and one of the most common trends is business owners who just, for whatever reason, didn't fit in the corporate environment. A lot of entrepreneurs are seeking something. They're seeking an answer, and they're trying to figure out the simple question of, how do I fit in the world? And more importantly, is there a way to make a living that doesn't involve the traditional nine-to-five job? One of the biggest pieces of advice that I give to entrepreneurs is, hey, you got to learn about who you are, what drives you, your motivation. That's why I want to tell you about this book, Your Turning Point, 33 Questions for Transformation. I love the impact I've been able to make through Good Advice and the Good Advice Podcast, but that would not have been doable without taking an honest assessment of who I was today and who I wanted to be tomorrow. Go to the website, the33questions.com, and get yourself a copy of Your Turning Point by Stephen J. Blank, and let's continue on this road for transformation together. Again, the website is the33questions.com, where you can buy your book today. A few years back, there was a book published by Gallup. Uh, If you don't know much about Gallup, they are... This actually might be a totally... I'm about to tell you something that now that I'm saying it, I'm like, wait, is this true? Uh, But we're going to go with it. You know, I try to be as genuine and honest as possible. So I'm going to give you my perspective of what Gallup is, and then you can look it up for yourself to see how close I was. But Gallup is basically uh, an organization that does a number of studies and polls and surveys 
essays and things like that. Uh, they have been in my world uh, for several years now because they do a a survey uh, every few years called the State of the Workplace, which is where they interview employees all over the country and they determine uh, a number of things. And there's actually some pretty incredible insights that come from this. There's questions around job satisfaction. There's questions around um employee retention and engagement. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite things to refer to when we get in this conversation of leadership, because, you know, when we talk about leadership, when we talk about culture, um, I was listening to a friend of mine who was talking uh, the other day and he said, you know, culture is such a buzzword. And I, I don't think he's wrong. I, I think this is spot on. I think we love to talk about culture. We love to talk about leadership and yet often we miss the um the the functional side to leadership often we miss the practicality of what good leadership looks like more often than not this is something that you know, when we talk about leadership, we're like, you know, hoorah, let's go. Um, really meaningful quotes and inspiring things. And I and and that's not to say that isn't a part of good leadership. I think great leaders are engaging with their teams. They are motivating people. They are inspiring people. They are painting vision for their people. However, there there is a practical side to leadership. There's a functional side to leadership. And when we look at the most dysfunctional organizations, Often it's the boss that is the reason for that. I, I bring that up because Gallup, like I mentioned, they have this survey called the state of the workplace. Uh, I love to reference this document. So many great insights, but they also, based on that book, they also came, or excuse me, that survey, they came out with a book a few years ago called It's the Manager. And this book was data-driven. It was really great. Uh, it's actually a book that I highly recommend. If you're in the leadership world, there's a couple of books, actually. If you're if you're just now sort of getting yourself engaged in the leadership conversation and you're looking for a couple of great books to look into, one of my all-time favorite leadership books, it's actually one of my all-time favorite books, period, is called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Uh, this is a book, uh, it's it's several years old now. Um, but this is a book that's all about, uh, Jim Collins, who looked at the world's most successful companies and basically found that it was a great leader who made them successful, uh, which saying that out loud, that sounds so egocentric, right? I mean, obviously your team helps you get there, but, but it wasn't like, the brilliance of one person, it was someone who was able to really empower their people well. So that's an amazing book. Good to great. Um, the other great book that I would recommend absolutely would be um, Crucial Conversations. That's a really great one. Oh my gosh. Now that I'm saying this, there's actually like so many books that I want to recommend. Um, but getting back to the point, it's the manager, one of my newly-esque, like I said, it's been a few years now that I've I've really loved this book, one of my newer, highly recommended books. And what I like about this book is it basically it, it, it basically answers the question of the majority of problems that your business is facing. Uh, I have a problem with this employee, or this is what's happening, and what Gallup's book basically implies and even actually states a multitude of times is, yep. It's the manager. That's why you're struggling. It's the manager. It's not the millennial. It's not the Gen Zer. It's not the, you know, this person just can't get it. It's the manager. Now, broad brush caveat for this whole thing. 
Do you sometimes hire people who aren't great fits? Yes. Do you sometimes bring on people that actually end up being fairly immature or they are lazy or they are not, they're not a great worker or they don't have, you thought they had the skill set, but it turned out they didn't, even though they're well-meaning, they're just not someone who you can keep long-term. Absolutely. Absolutely. However, these things are more rare than they are the norm And the point of this book was basically helping people understand that our temptation is often to put on our people the responsibility or rather the burden of failure, when in actuality, what we really need to do is look in the mirror and realize it's not them, it's me. I'm the manager. It's my fault, right? Uh, And I've, I've told this story a thousand times, but I had a person I was talking to and we were talking about her business and she said, uh, this is one of our early conversations and it was kind of like an implied, like we were seeing if there was an opportunity for us to work together and we were having this conversation. This isn't, and this isn't a conversation that is unusual for me. It's, it's not uncommon that I'll be, you know, bumping up. Uh, you know, rubbing shoulders with someone who's like, Hey, meet, meet this person, talk to this person. And so I get, I get into these conversations often where someone's like, Hey, here's the problem I'm facing. And this, by the way, this doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I love what I do. And so it doesn't, it, it, it brings energy to me to just be able to like share advice with people. But this is basically what I was doing. I was having a conversation with someone and she said, yeah, you know, um, millennials, and this was actually probably maybe four or five years ago, I guess now. But she said, you know, uh, millennials, which by the way, I got to just say, I love that we're ripping on Gen Zers now that I can get a break as a millennial for, for how I do business. Right. So anyway, um, this lady says, oh, you know, millennials are just so hard. They're just impossible to manage. And I said, okay, well, tell me, tell me what you mean by that. Like what, what's going on with your business? And she says, Blake, I kid you not. I've had nine employees quit over the last um, over the last year and I have 10 employees total. Uh, it was something, it was like 90% or actually now that I'm thinking about it, it might've actually been the entire team had quit at various points over the last year. This isn't the only time I've had a conversation like this. I had another conversation with, uh, one of my favorite customers who they manage a, a number of locations. Well, one of their locations had a team of about five or six people and almost the entire team walked out in the same day. They all quit on the same day. And these conversations, I had the same insight for both of them. I said, Hey, you know, if now my favorite customer, you know, they weren't saying the problems millennials, they were just experiencing something similar of a team walking out. But going back to the original woman, um, this person I was speaking to, she says, Hey, so yeah, millennials are, are so tough to manage. Um, over the last year, almost my entire team has quit. You know, man, Mal- like, geez. <laughs> and I, I thought for a second, I was listening and I said, you know, um, in my experience, when your whole team quits, it's actually not that they're millennials. Uh, usually it's the boss. And I, and I didn't say it in a cutting way. I wasn't. You know, the point in these conversations, I I feel like I'm a fairly candid person. The point of these conversations is never to wound someone. You know what I'm saying? Like, this isn't about ego. This isn't about getting one over someone. This is about genuine um, insight, I guess, 
to the best of my ability. Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I miss it. I mean, I was on a call with a guy the other day where he was talking about, he sells a, uh, like 150 of, um, this one product. And I said, well, man, what if you could double that in the next year? And there's a current customer. I said, what if we could double it? And he was like, well, if we doubled it, we would be selling more than what actually gets sold in the year. So that doesn't make sense. So like, I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable with getting pushback with things like that, but sometimes I just share insight because I just think it's something worth thinking about. So we're talking and I said, you know, my experience, uh, if your whole team quits, it's not them Typically it's you. That's that's what I've seen to be true. And she scoffed and um really just shrugged her shoulders and said, Well, verbatim, she said, Well, if you're telling me it's my fault, I would not want to work with you. And I just sort of shrugged my shoulders in response. And I don't think I said this, I think I just thought it, uh, because it was kind of like a what's the point, right? But I'm pretty sure. Either I, th- I either I said it or thought it. I thought, well, you know, I wouldn't w- want to work with you anyway, uh, which isn't the first time I've thought that. I've had I had a person come to me who was asking me to work with their boss, and they're talking about how miserable it was, how horrible the place was, and I said, you know what? I don't think I want to work with your boss. It says it's not like a great fit for me. So, point being, most people cannot be honest with themselves. Most people cannot look in the mirror. You know, I've mentioned I've managed myself hundreds of people in my professional career. And and maybe this is a personality flaw. I really don't think about the Grand Slam amazing employees. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I think about people in the sense of like, oh, I wonder what they're doing now. Man, I hope they're flourishing. Oh, that person was so fun to work with. Actually, I think of two people that I worked with who I thought were incredible. Uh, one, they're both NWA people. One's name was, uh, Megan Rands, uh, but she's married now. So I can't think of her last name. I don't know any of these people's new last names. And then, um, uh, Marissa Judson, two phenomenal people, just, just incredible, incredible people. Um, and, and so, and, and it's no thanks to me, by the way, these people were already incredible. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> nothing about me in that conversation. But so I do sometimes think about incredible people who you're just wondering, man, I hope they're just, they're continuing just to, um, really just excitement of, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this, by the way, I'm kind of like rambling now about, (laughs) I'm getting insecure about talking about these two amazing professionals. Anyway, sometimes I do think about people and I'm not going to name these people. (laughs) I do think about people in the sense of, man, I really, I did not do a good job with that person. Um, I think about one person who got fired. Um, they got fired cause they just, they were not, they just were not good at their job. And in retrospect, uh, they got fired by my boss. Um, and I was managing them. And in retrospect, I thought, man, I really, I really missed it with that person. I missed an opportunity to train them, mentor them and develop them. And instead what I did, this is early on in my career. What I did was I often had more conversations to my boss about how this person couldn't handle it. Uh, so that's, that's a big regret I have, um, really that I really feel ownership over. And then I think about another person I worked with who we just didn't get along. Um, uh, we, we just didn't see eye to eye it just was not uh, probably to this day, they would probably say I was a terrible boss, honestly. (laughs) 
And, and now in, to be fair to the situation, was there immaturity there on their part? Absolutely. Was there, uh, a sense of ownership or rather lack of ownership on their part? Absolutely. However, I just, I just can't help it, but myself think about these people that, you know, it's like, man, I wonder what I could have done differently. And that's, that's really, it's probably why I like this book so much. That's really the premise of the book. It's the manager. It's about ownership, looking in the mirror, realizing, okay, what am I not doing? So that brings me to the point of today's conversation today is I think anytime a business is looking at scale, you will inevitably find yourself in this conversation of, okay, I'm no longer just running a business. Now I am a full-time people manager. And I frankly feel like this is where many businesses honestly struggle to scale because it it is a different mentality. It is a different muscle than what you were using when you were first growing your business. When you were growing your business early on, you were the ideator, you were the innovator, you were the salesperson, you were thinking about revenue for your business, you were meeting with people, you were trying to develop your customer base, you were trying to nurture your tribe, all of these things. Now, when you've brought on your employees, whether that's a W-2 employee or a 1099, you know, you're managing people in some aspect and it, it is an entirely different muscle. It really is. I mean, now, is there some crossover there? Sure. You know, how you how you paint the vision to your customer of what they're buying and how you communicate a similar vision to your employees. I mean, these are these are similar conversations, right? However, there's there's also just just like I mentioned, different muscles entirely. Because now you're you're thinking about things like delegation. Uh, you're thinking about training and development. Like, how do I, how do I trust this person to do what I know how it needs to be done? And then there's like levels of nuance, uh, even below that, like levels of complexity. It's like, okay, this staff person isn't doing it the way I would want them to do it. And now I have to look in the mirror and realize, okay, are they not doing it that way? Because there's a lack of training. Like they don't know our process, or is this purely a preference thing? You know, if, 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 if job a, B and C all have to get done and you always do it in order a, B and C, but they do it in order of C, B, A. Sometimes you have to look in the mirror and realize, Hey, it doesn't matter which direction it gets done as long as it gets done well. And really I'm just preferential to do it ABC than CBA, right? Now, these levels of nuance, I call it that is because the reason I call it that is because it it requires a level of emotional intelligence, which I don't talk about often on the podcast. Um, your EQ, your emotional intelligence, your self-awareness for who you are, your values, your communication style and how you engage with other people. So it requires a deeper level of introspection that 
often when you are doing things, you're selling, you're growing the business, you early on don't always have time to sit down and ask yourself those questions and be introspective. But then now suddenly you're managing someone and there's tension and you guys are butting up against each other and you're frustrated with them and you've never developed that habit of introspection, of pausing and from actual to actually be able to have the conversation of why am I frustrated by this person? So all that to say, when you start to lead and manage people, it, it is, it's just a different muscle. It's something you have to train, grow and develop even to the point of having hard conversations with people. You know, when you were young in your business, you just had to hold yourself accountable. Am I showing up every day? Am I, am I, growing the business. Now you're, you're managing people, one, two, three, 10, maybe more people. And you are now in this conversation of what does accountability look like? How do I get everyone on the same page for the direction we're going? And, and, and by the way, if you have ever wondered those things, uh, with good advice, we, we've solved those problems for a number of our customers. We've done things like personality styled assessments like Berkman. We've done things like, hey, I want to know what my team thinks about me. Uh, not like in terms of like nice or not nice, but in terms of like how effective a leader they think I am. So we have something like that called a 360, which I think I've talked about on the podcast before. But even beyond that, we do have lots of conversations with our customers around, um, and, and, and now see, it's funny how these podcasts go because I get into a rhythm about talking about something and then that gets me thinking like, well, geez, I want to talk about that. So I'm, I, there, this may need to, this, this may need to be like a longer conversation, like a, a bigger conversation around, um, you know, what are like the, the steps to managing your team effectively. Uh, so I'm, I'm, if I'm seeing a little scattered here, it's it's that as I'm getting to this conversation, it's like I'm unplugging the cork on this massive pool of leadership, knowledge, and expertise that I, I'm I'm trying to discern. Okay, what what do I need to say on the podcast that's not that's helpful but not distracting? So um, that's the only reason why I'm I'm feeling that way currently. So, anywho, point being, you have to learn to be a great boss. You have to learn to be a great leader. I deeply feel like most leaders aren't born. I think great leaders are typically made and in many cases, self-made their appetite for growth, their appetite for self-development often then dictates how well they are then able to manage their team. So all that to say, if you're struggling in the leadership game, if you're struggling in managing people, or rather you're seeing quite a bit of turnover in your people, chances are it's you. Chances are it's you who's causing that to be the case. Some of you listening are thinking, yeah, that, that is so true. Some of you are thinking, I'm not sure, but I'm willing to look in the mirror and some of you are thinking, no way, it's not me, it's them. And if you're in that third group, here's what I'll tell you, is that when people tell me it's them, when I have an actual conversation, 90% of the time, it, it really is you. The other 10%, it's like, like I remember talking to a guy a few years back and we were talking about a, a difficult employee 
And my gut was the 90%. It was like, it's probably you, man. Like it's let's, let's be real. It's probably you, but we started talking about his employee and like, what's going on. And, and, and actually was the employee. Like he was telling me stories about the employee and how the employee was like, the employee was just strange, just a strange person. Uh, and the employee was like, you know, basically sleeping in the office, um, just doing weird things. And the boss who I was talking to was kind of like, like, Hey, what, do I, what should I do about this? And I was like, this guy is strange. You are in a weird situation currently. So that'll happen, but that's 10% of the time. That's a sliver of those difficult, uh, staff people. So what I do want to give to you today is an insight around pay, pay wages. Um, we had a conversation a few weeks back on why nobody wants to work anymore. Uh, I loved this episode in the past cause it got people so riled up. Uh, I had people I hadn't talked to in, I didn't even know, listen to the podcast who, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. People, I didn't even know, listen to the podcast who reached out to me and, um, you know, were like, I got a, I got a bone to pick with you. And I had some friends also who I did know, listen, who also were saying, I got a bone to pick with you. And here's what you got to know. Anytime I post an episode like that, when we're talking about, Hey, here's why nobody wants to work anymore. It's probably your fault. It's probably because you're not paying well, yada, yada. You can know that if you are a great boss, if you're paying well, and you've had, you found yourself thinking well, this one employee was lazy. I'm probably not talking to you. I'm when I post an episode like that, I am I am talking to the large swath of business leaders who are doing bad leadership, who are bad bosses, and instead of looking in the mirror, they're just leaning back, kicking their feet up and saying, "Yeah, well, nobody wants to work anymore." Like those are the people that I'm talking to when I post an episode like that. So, but building on that conversation, I do want to talk, um, we've said a lot about leadership already today. I do want to talk about pay. I want to talk about pay. I want to talk about the reason you want to have a competitive wage when you manage people. And I want to make this conversation purely about competition and how to leverage your business how to pivot your business or rather position the business in a way for it to compete in the marketplace. Okay. It's kind of, and, and I, I think, I think when we remove the emotion behind it, when we remove, uh, this is a, frankly, this is a political topic. When you remove the political, the temptation to be political about it, you, I have found people. It, it's just funny to me. It's funny to me. Like when I have a conversation like this with someone who I know is a very political person and I find them agreeing with me, even though I know the political version of them wouldn't agree with it. And in the insight, I don't know if you're tracking with me, but the insight I, I take away from that is that so often when we remove like the political affiliations around a conversation, it it, it allows us to be more objective and honestly, just, just have a, a, a straightforward conversation, right? So I'll find myself in this conversation around pay and, uh, you know, by the way, just random caveat. I know people can never hear it. If you can hear my kids screaming, they're just screaming. Everything's okay. <laughs> I've said this. I feel like I say this every solo episode and it's people are like, Hey, I couldn't, I get people who reach out to me or I run into them and they're like, yeah, I couldn't hear them. You're good. <laughs> uh, who knows what's happening in the bins house. Right. Anyway, 
So but let's go ahead and just strip away all the 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 politics of this. Let, let's make this as a conversation about growing your business and let's make it as as make it make sense in terms of just being strategic. And and typically when I give advice to people, uh, and I, I said this at the start of the episode, like when you remove the inspiration behind it, when you remove the emotion behind it, and you just find yourself in a position to make an objective decision, it 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 provides clarity then around the next step when you remove the personal bias and emotion around it. And that's that's by the way why um I, I think I do so well with my consulting customers is because they're able to get that third party like, hey, you're you're so close to this. Let's let's just have an honest conversation, right? But when we talk about being competitive, it's like this conversation I had with someone the other day. We were talking about SEO and this guy was um, the business he's running. He's a local brand trying to compete with uh, national brands. And we were talking about SEO, which SEO we're talking about having you rank higher on Google so that uh, you get more organic customers to your website and eventually buying from you. This is great for people. And not only is it, is it great for people who don't necessarily want to do just paid ads, but also people who are looking for something to do in addition to paid advertising, but getting people to find you, right? So you're not always having to chase down all your customers. Anywho, we were having this conversation and he said, Hey, I want to know how do I compete with this big, massive brand? But I, I don't like the idea of advertising. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't like the idea of advertising. I don't like the idea of SEO. I don't want to do any of that, yada, yada. And I said, well, let's, let's remove the scarcity, fear, emotion about this. And let's talk about this practically. You're asking, how do you rank better than your competitor who is spending thousands, if not 10, it's a national brand, if not tens of thousands of dollars monthly on the exact thing you said you don't want to do. You see the irony here. So if you're wanting to compete in that space, you got to be willing to play the game a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to do those things to be a successful business, but on the conversation of, I want to compete with this national brand, hey, you're going to have to play the game right? You're going to have to do a little bit of what they have found success in. That is why they have found that success. And if, 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 if you aren't able to play the game, then we need to scale back the scope of what you're wanting to do. You know, your attention is far less suited. It's far less valuable to be fixated on this national brand. And instead, maybe we should be focused on the customers you do have and how you create repeat customers, how you create referral based customers. Like there's just a different conversation, right? So keeping this conversation as competitive as possible, I want to talk about pay and I want to talk about helping you understand why it is killing you to pay a low wage in your business. And when I say low wage, I actually don't mean $10 an hour. I mean, I mean, $15 an hour. And this is so funny how it's funny how the conversation has, how the, the economy has evolved so quickly just in the last, I would say five or six years because I remember having this conversation five years ago with a business owner who 
we were talking, he was paying, I think nine or 10 an hour. And we were talking about paying 15. And now five years later, I'm like, well, dude, if you're paying 15, you really ought to be paying 20 or 22. You know, you're, so it's funny how, how quickly this conversation evolves, but point being, um, this is a conversation point that I think it, I think it's a, it's a hard conversation to have because when you are running a business, you're aware of the cash flow for your, I mean, hopefully you're aware of the cash flow for your business. Uh, if not, you need to call one of our advertisers, uh, Steve lay with equity business solutions. He's going to, he's going to help your business make sense numbers wise. He gives great advice, uh, really proud to recommend him on the show. But ideally, you have an idea of the cash flow in your business. You have an idea of how well your business is doing. And more often than not, I get into a couple of different conversations with people. When we talk about paying, I typically get in a conversation with people who say something like, or actually, I'll just I'll just have a conversation around, um, I, I was talking to someone uh, about a month or so, maybe two months ago who they said, Hey, I, I am, I'm really struggling to find great employees. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. Tell me what's going on. She said, I'm having a really hard time finding great employees. I said, okay, tell me more. She tells me about the whole situation. And my number one question I always go to immediately is, okay, what's your wage? What are you paying? And she said, I'm paying 12 an hour. I think it was 12 an hour. She said, I'm paying 12 an hour. Now, minimum wage in Arkansas, I think is $11 an hour. So, so excuse me, she's paying a dollar over the minimum wage. She says, I'm paying $12 an hour. And then she had more, she said with that. And I said, I think that's your problem. And there was like a look of defeat on her face. There was, um, geez, like, so you, you think I need to pay more? I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, again, this isn't, this isn't a conversation on, um, like are people worthy of more or like whatever weird conversation people get into. This is a pure, let's, let's just, like I said, let's keep this a pure competition market share. You're trying to be competitive in the marketplace. Let's make it just a pure conversation around that. And when we talk about competition, I'm not talking about actually, um, your direct competitors, like if you're a roofer, like the other roofing companies out there, I'm actually talking about about where else, even if it's in a different industry, that your employees could go to. So I was, I was talking to her about this and I said, okay, think about it this way. If I could go stock shelves at Target for 20 an hour, why would I go work for your business at 14? I mean, that's literally what it is. If I could make 20 at, I mean, let's, let's actually look up some wages real quick. Hang with me here. Um, let's look at Costco. Cause and I, I'm going to talk about Costco because I've talked about Costco on the podcast. I've talked about them uh, a multitude of times. Um, this is 2019. Okay, here we go. Costco 2023. Uh, Costco's average hourly rate is twenty three fifty five. Twenty three fifty five. This is as of twenty twenty three. Costco's average average hourly rate twenty three fifty five. Excuse me. If I can make twenty three dollars an hour, 
working at Costco. Why would I work for your business at 14? Let's do more math here, okay? We're talking about a difference of $9. Nine of 14, that's 65, 64%. Um, nine dollars sixty four percent times forty hours um, times fifty weeks. I can make eighteen thousand more dollars working at Costco than I could working for you at fourteen. It's bottom line. It's just simple math. Okay. Now let's go backwards here. I'd be making eighteen thousand more dollars uh, at fourteen an hour, working forty hours a week. We'll say fifty weeks a year. Um, I'd be making $28,000 a year. So I could go from making $28,000 a year to 40 uh, uh, times 18 uh, plus 18, $46,000. I I could, I mean, this is just math people. So we're having this conversation and I say, wow, you're paying 14. I mean, there's your problem. And like I said, look at defeat. It was G like, so you think I need to pay more? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You got to pay more. And it's not about even what I think it's that your employees, the reason you can't keep employees is because they, these people are motivated by their wage. And I think, I think this is also another conversation where it's like, well, I'm looking for people who aren't motivated by money. And we make this like an aspirational, um, like a value conversation that is honestly a bit intellectually, this wasn't the case with this person, by the way, but we actually make it a bit intellectually dishonest. Because it's really not, it's really not about finding someone who's motivated to change the world with you. It's about understanding functionally the kind of circumstance that person is, is in. This is someone who is trying to pay their, their monthly rent or mortgage. They're, they're trying to pay grocery bills. If they're a single parent, they're paying for childcare. They're paying for their vehicle. I mean, there are a number number of expenses this person is paying for. I'll go ahead and tell you also, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, there is no state in the United States where minimum wage is enough to afford a one-bedroom apartment or even a two-bedroom apartment. So understanding that if minimum wage can't get you a place to live, then at $14 an hour, it's probably not you're, you're not like living large, right? I mean, you're probably making just enough to pay your rent, right? Uh, average rent. Uh, we'll just say right now we'll, we'll price it low. We'll put it low just to see for the sake of the example, let's say rent is $1,600, um, a month. You're making 14 an hour, 40 times 40 hours a week, uh, times four weeks in a month. 14 times 40 times 40, you're making 2240 in a month, 1600 of that goes to rent. That leaves you $640, right? You with me? So I have $640 to survive on the month, right? Uh, Let's say that I go to the grocery store twice a month for a hundred dollars each. I would be shocked if you could go to the grocery store for less than 200, um, which some people who are listening are like, you know, I would do, I'd figure it out and which is kind of an obnoxious thing, but you know, Hey, you do you. Um, but, and here's by the, by the way, some people say like, Oh, I'd figure it out. I could, I could live on a budget. We're not even talking about a budget. We're talking about like minimum min- Like, do you remember the whole like joke around people? Actually, wasn't even a joke. This was happening. People were stealing chickens out of people's backyards because the price of eggs had gotten so expensive. So, uh, 
this is a whole even other conversation on like, oh, well, they should just be eating like the cheapest foods possible. Yeah. The problem is that the cheapest foods possible aren't nutritionally dense, which leads to, we call this the price of being poor, which leads to a slew of other problems, dental health, et cetera. Um, and, and I'm trying to like resist the temptation of getting into like, you know, I said we weren't going to be political, right? So we're not going to get into like economical problems here. Um, but this, this doesn't even take into account anything else they'd have to pay for. Right. So like, you know, if they have, if they're diabetic, if they have to pay for insulin, if they have to pay for their own, own health insurance, um, you know, if they're a 1099 employee, they're, they're paying for their own insurance, you get it. Not to mention the price of childcare, just basic things, right? So, at a minimum, someone has four hundred dollars to spare if they're only paying for their rent and their food, right? Only four hundred dollars to make it month to month, uh, which isn't, by the way, if car breaks down, something an emergency happens. It's definitely not enough to cover that. So, I bring all this up to help you understand that. We, we aren't talking about, oh, these people are just motivated by money. It, they are, but not for the reason that you're thinking. Often we throw that line out because we're trying to imply that people are selfish, that they're self-serving, that they're greedy. Uh, I had a podcast episode early on in the podcast. I think it's like in the top maybe 50, the first 50 episodes I did, I think that was called Don't Feel Guilty for Asking for More Money. Because I found myself um, having conversations with professionals who their bosses were saying, well, you know, if they ask for more money, they're, they're only motivated by themselves. I just want someone who's going to give it, these very like obnoxious things. And so, so often we make this about like a character problem instead of understanding that it's not that these people are greedy or selfish. It's that they are trying to make ends meet. And if I can make 64% more working at this other business, why wouldn't I do that? If I have kids, why wouldn't I do that for them to add 64% to my bottom line? So you, you have to remove the emotion behind this and be as objective as possible to understand that this isn't a conversation about someone's um, value system. We're talking about being competitive in the marketplace. If you want your business to make it, if you want your business to be successful, you have to be willing to engage in this conversation. It doesn't mean that you have to pay the highest rate, but it does need to be competitive. And before you say, well, we got a lot of perks, uh, you can know that perks, statistically speaking, we've talked about it on the show in the past, perks typically do not make a difference in terms of someone's retention, in terms of someone choosing to stay. And I say that for people who, you know, oh, well, we pay minimum wage, but we get a lot of perks. You know, you can wear jeans to the office. Like, sorry, perks are an add-on. They're a, they're the side dish. They're not the main course, right? And too many businesses are trying to make them the main course. So let's unpack this further, okay? Let's say you're listening to this and, and this is the, the most common response I get when I have this conversation with a professional, with a business owner, the most common response I get is, well, I can't afford to pay that. I can't afford to pay that. This is also a conversation we've had on the podcast before. So I can't afford to pay that. Typically what this is a reflection of is a deeper problem in your business. 
This is typically an issue with you. Again, it's the manager, an issue with you and how you've structured your business, what you've sold, what you're selling, what you're doing. If you have found yourself in a position like, and let me give you like a, not a hypothetical. Let me give you an actual conversation I had with the business owner. I've also told this one on the podcast too before. I was talking to a vet store, not a vet store, a pet store owner. And she said, Hey, Blake, how can I pay less than minimum wage? And I said, I, do you mean more than minimum wage? And she goes, no, I need to know how to pay less because I know all of this stuff is kind of fickle. Um, I know there's a lot of loopholes. I'm sure there's a way I could kind of get around it. Do you have any recommendations for how I can pay less? And I said, no, it's like, it's the law. (laughs) There's no wiggle room. You got to pay people at least minimum wage. But it led to this next conversation where I said, why would you want to, like, why would you want to pay less than minimum wage? And she said, well, cause I can't afford, I can't afford it. I can't, af- I cannot afford to even pay minimum wage. And I said, but don't you realize that that means there's something deeply broken about your business? Like there's something deeply broken and wrong with your business and you're having the wrong conversation. You're making it a conversation around pay and firing, finding employees and retention. And how do I find someone who will take less money? That's, that is a waste of your effort. Instead of focusing on the right problem, the right problem being my business is struggling so badly that I cannot even pay someone minimum wage. See, we're going back to that conversation of looking in the mirror, self-reflection, introspection. Why is my business in this position? Is it because what I'm trying to sell actually is not as compelling a product or service as I thought it was? Is it because I haven't, as the boss, taken the time to put on the sales hat and build a healthy sales pipeline for my business? <coughs> Excuse me. I had a cold for like two weeks, so it's I'm still getting over this thing. But understanding there is something you've designed around the business that is not working and the temptation, it's just, it's just life. It's so easy to make it about someone else than it is to bear the weight of responsibility. I did that. I created that. You know, I, I love this old, uh, this old meme or quote. Um, there was, uh, a team leader who was complaining about their team members and, the way the joke goes is someone else speaks up and says, well, Hey, you were the one, you were the one who made that decision. You were the one who decided that, who put you in that position. Like, what do you, like, why are you complaining? And the person responds with, well, if that's true, then it means it's my fault. And I don't like that, which, which is how we respond so often is, you know, I, I don't like how that makes me, I, I want it to be someone else's fault, not my fault, not my problem, right? So understand for a second that if you are in a position that you cannot pay a competitive wage, it's, it is you in your business. It is you in your business. You need to drastically change the way uh, that you sell for your business You need to change the way that you offer your product or service. Like it is time to sort of like burn the ships, 
pivot hard. I know pivots like an anti buzzword. People don't like these days, but, but that's effectively what it is. Um, you know, it's, it is time to really turn this thing upside down to get it to a point of, of profitability where out of that, those profits, you can bring someone on. Now, the last thing I want to talk about today is understanding the long-term health of your business is directly tied to how well you pay your people. And again, we're not talking about the highest wage. We're talking about a competitive wage. If all of your competitors are paying at least 20 an hour and you're paying 12 or you're paying 11 or you're paying less, if you're in another state, you're listening, you're paying less, you are positioning your business for failure. Bottom line. Let's talk about this more. Let's say that your strategy for retention, or rather your strategy for employment, I'm starting to lose my voice, by the way. Let's just say your strategy for employment for your business has involved having hiring someone and keeping them long enough for you to find someone else to replace them. Let's say that your business is a revolving door of talent. And it's like, okay, I have to always find someone new to fill the seat of the person who just left, but it's working. It's working for now. What I would tell you is that it is maybe feeling like it's working right now, but it is costing you big time long-term. A friend of mine shared, this is a story we've all heard before, right? We're all, we're all familiar with this. A friend of mine shared a story about her friend who got, quote, promoted not a new title, not an increased pay, but was brought in and told, hey, you are now going to be managing a bigger team. And this is this is how this conversation goes, right? We've, like I said, we've all heard this story of someone quits and the person who stays now inherits all of their work rather than someone else being brought on. Uh, my mother-in-law is a nurse. She has told me stories of, you know, a certain nurse quits and then like everyone else is asked, Hey, pick up the slack. And then like a year later, they're like, Hey, were we ever going to hire that spot again? And like, Oh, there's not money in the budget. We can't do it. It's not going to work, whatever. So we all know this story, right? But point being, if you're operating your business on a revolving door, you are costing yourself long-term big time. Uh, I've talked about this stat on the podcast before. The cost of replacing someone who leaves, it's its why hiring has to be tight because in many cases you can't afford for a hire to not work out. But um, let's actually see if this statistic, I had heard that it was about half of, um, let's see, cost to replace employee. Okay, here we go. Okay, the cost... The cost to replace an employee is at a minimum 50% of their annual wages and in more drastic circumstances, sometimes as high as 200% of their annual wages. <laughs> so let's go back to that example, okay, of the $14 an hour. Someone who works $14 an hour, 40 hours a week, uh, 50, again, we'll say 50 weeks, we'll give them two weeks off. They make $28,000, um, $28,000 a year for your business. 
they're making 28K, uh, they quit. Now you're looking for somebody else to, to fix them. That person quits. Um, so you are then paying 14, let's just take, let's take the lowest number for the sake of the example, the lowest number. You're paying half of what you were paying them to replace them. And this is, this is in lost productivity with them gone, uh, which this, this isn't hard to understand. I've posted pictures of this, um, on social media. I went to a restaurant locally and they had a sign on the door that said, we're closed because we don't have enough people to staff the restaurant like that. That's money out of your pocket because you couldn't find employees to run the business. Right? So we've all experienced this in some ways. So it's costing you in terms of lost output, lost productivity. It's costing you in terms of customer experience because that person who's been working with your customers for three months is now being replaced by someone who doesn't know who your customer is, hasn't engaged with them before. They may be a perfectly fine, reasonable, polite person, but they don't know the nuance of your business. Uh, three, you're losing you are losing culture and brand value because you are now you're bringing someone in who is a stranger to what your business is and the values you stand for all of things all of these three things together are what create this deficit this operating loss to your business that is in the in the smallest form according to data according to research it's costing you $14,000 50% of what this person was making annually, 28K. Uh, Gallup, I mentioned Gallup, by the way. Gallup says that losing staff people, the failure to retain an employee is costing businesses a trillion dollars a year, a trillion dollars a year and lost productivity. Again, uh, outputs, culture, um, just the cost to, it, it takes time to sit down and read a resume to interview someone. Uh, some of y'all's businesses, by the way, are messed up in the hiring. Pro- I mean, you're doing nine interviews. I mean, you're nuts. I had a, I had a company that I applied for years ago and I, uh, we got to like month two of the interview process and I was like, what is going on with this place? And we got to month three, then we got to month four. And finally, I think it was around month four, month five, I withdrew my application and I was like, Hey, and by the way, like, I don't know what's going on, but like, this is nuts. And the person who was in charge of hiring responded and said, Hey, well, we have, we have an exclusive nine month hiring process that we're extremely proud of. And I just thought you are high. I mean, you are, you've lost it that you think any high talent person would wait around nine months to come work for you. You're nuts. You're crazy. You're living on another planet. So all that to say, uh, you're losing time by having to, to, (laughs) excuse me, better wrap this thing up. I'm losing my voice. You're losing time by having to interview them, train them. I mean, literally training someone, trying to develop someone, Um, you know, which by the way, I know you can swear by training tools, videos, whatever, um, you will still at some point have to train them. Just, just, you will, you just will, um, a, and by the way, a $12 employee an hour is not going to deeply rigorously watch your training video. Uh, this is a thing I hear about in a lot of, um, service-based businesses is training videos. I, I don't have a problem with it, by the way, in terms of like the concept, the problem I have is the person who brings on the staff person like, Hey, watch the videos. Okay. Let's go to work. And it's like, okay, but 
you just brought a $12, like this person, like you are going to have to train them. I mean, let's be real, right? Anywho, so 50%, let's, let's keep doing some math here. Again, we're making this just as purely st- statistic and strategic as possible. Okay. So you, you are spending this person who makes 14 an hour, they're making 28 K a year. You're spending at a minimum $14,000 by them leaving. Uh, can you afford to lose 14 grand? Probably not, but let's just for the sake of the example. Uh, and that's just, if one person leaves, go back to my, my example of the woman I was talking to who had nine or 10 or the whole staff all turnover. We're, we're talking about six figures. We're talking about a hundred K for your business. And frankly, it might even lead to your business shutting down. I worked with a woman uh, a few years back who she had a person on her staff where it was like a nurse or something, but in order for the business to stay open, this person legally, like they needed a licensed person on, uh, at, at the building every day. Well, this person quit, they walked out. And so what happened? Well, the owner had to shut down the business because they legally could not operate it. So it's like, okay, it, in this case, it's not even about the person's salary. We're talking about exponential devastation on your bottom line because now you're not even open anymore. Anyway, so $14,000. Uh, this is if just one person leaves. So let's say instead uh, you paid them six more dollars an hour and you paid them $20 an hour instead. You pay $20 an hour, $20 an hour at um, 40 hours a week, 50 50, um, uh, weeks a month, that's $40,000. So if you paid someone $20 an hour, you would end up paying them $40,000 a year. Compared to $28,000, you're paying $12,000 more, which is still less than the 14K that you lost by one employee quitting. And if you make it two employees quitting or three or, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the, the difference only becomes larger. So paying $20 an hour now is actually cheaper than it's going to cost you to replace a $14 employee once a year. Does this make sense? Like we're making this pure, pure math, pure numbers here. Uh, if we went up to $22 an hour. You'd be paying 44K. Uh, that would be um, uh, $16,000 an hour. No, that's not right. $16,000 a year. So understand something also. You get what you pay for. What kind of employee do you think applies to your position at $22 an hour compared to the person who applies at $12 an hour? Or I going back to a conversation I had, I was talking to someone who was paying a very low wage and they said, yeah, and this person I just brought on, they were terrible. They were an awful employee. And I was kind of just like, that's what you paid for though. That's what you paid for. If a lot of these, if a lot of these national brands or businesses are, are paying 20 plus and you snagged the person at 14 or at 12 or at minimum wage, why aren't they going to those places? That's what you got to ask yourself. Why aren't they going to those competitors? It's not because they don't know these, these wages are all posted publicly. They ended up in your lap because they weren't a great hire in the first place. So, and, and by the way, let's say you think you did find a diamond in the rough. You found someone who had no idea their worth and they came to you to work for you. 
How long before they become wise and realize that they're worth a heck of a lot more elsewhere? So you get what you pay for. And if you want a great employee, you have to be willing to pay for it. You've got to be willing. So go back to this conversation I was having with this person who I think she was paying 12 an hour. I don't remember, honestly, but she was like, Hey, so you're saying I should pay 14 or 15 an hour. And I said, Hey, here's what I'll tell you. All of my customers, literally all of my customers are paying at least 20 and all of my customers are six figure plus businesses. So take that for what you will. Every customer of mine is paying at least 20 an hour. So take that for what you will. Do what you want with that information. I have no skin in the game, but do what you want with that information. It seems like they've figured something out. Here's what I know though, just to kind of wrap up our episode. This is a long episode today. Thank you guys for hanging with me and for listening to this. And and by the way, I'd love to hear what you think about this. You know, let's talk about it. Send me your thoughts, you know, give me your feedback. Um, but here's what I want to say. Here's what I, here's what I've realized is that most people want to be told what they want to hear. And I have this happen often in conversations. It's not so much in my coaching conversations because in those situations, like I have customers who they've, they've paid to get my perspective. So they're much more open to like, yeah, like let's, let's write the ship, but just like casually when I'm talking to someone. Sometimes I get in these situations where someone asks me something and I find myself thinking, even sometimes saying, do you want to know what I think? Or do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Because often we're not looking to write the ship. We're looking for affirmation to be proven right. It's why people seek out their echo chambers, right? Because they want to find other people who tell them you're right. Great job thinking that. So here's what I know. There will be some people listening to this episode who they're like, yes, you should pay a competitive wage. And chances are you're already paying that. There will be some people listening who are like, you're nuts. (laughs) You know, what's a podcast episode going to do to change your mind? But I hope that those of you who you've been thinking about managing people effectively, that you would understand it's more than just a values conversation. It's more, it's more than just like an inspiration leadership. Let's get them part of the team conversation. And there is absolutely a pay part to this conversation. We love to throw the quote around of people don't quit businesses. You know, they quit bad bosses. Um, or rather, excuse me, not that one. That one actually is, is true. <laughs> not that example. We love to throw the quote around of people will take less money to have a great boss, which by the way is, is actually true, but we use that as like a, a, a crux or assume not a crux, a crutch on not then paying people. Well, pay is an important piece of the conversation. If you want better employees, you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. And more importantly, when you pay for better talent, you will be surprised how the management side of your business, like the retaining, like finding good talent, how much easier that will become. I'll close with this. I was reading a social media post. Someone was talking about how they had surveyed a number of businesses based on their pay. And what they had done was they had gone to all of the local businesses in their town and they had surveyed um effectively like what's your what's your pay and how is your retention going uh how many job openings do you have basically 
And what this person found was that anyone paying over 30 an hour, uh, and I'm going to butcher this example, by the way, because it's, it's literally off the top of my head. Basically, anyone paying at the top end, they were like, no issues whatsoever. We're, we're getting, we're, we've, we've had great applicants. We have great staff people. We're in a great position. Uh, people paying a little bit less, like in that $20 range, they're like, yeah, it's going pretty well. We might have a, we might have an opening here or there, but really it's, it's going super well. And then as you get under that $20 an hour, you have more and more businesses. Oh, oh man, I just, we, we just can't find good talent. You know, millennials, they're so tough to manage, right? Instead of looking in the mirror and realizing it's me, it's me and my business that has put myself in this position. Hard truths to swallow today, right? But the good news is if you're in that position, just like how you started the business, you are fully capable of riding the ship, of getting this business where it needs to go. And what's the what's the old adage? Like solving a problem starts with realizing you have one. Like now the evidence is before you and you can decide to either take that and do something with it or move on from it. And, and continue to do things the way you want. It, again, it makes no difference to me. Um, I mean, it, it does kind of, I want, I don't want people to like be making no money and be miserable. <laughs> I, I just don't think that we were made for that. Right. So anyway, whew, all that to say, it's our first hour long episode in a long time. Thank you guys for listening today, for listening to the podcast, for continuing to support the good advice podcast. Uh, don't forget we have two to three episodes every week. Uh, we are doing also our top 10 most downloaded episodes of the five years of the Good Advice Podcast. We've put out number 10. We got number nine coming to you very soon. So keep a lookout for that. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, if you like the podcast, if you made it all the way to the end of this one hour episode, don't forget that you can always support the podcast by leaving us a review. You can always Google Good Advice NWA and leave us a review if you're enjoying the podcast. If you don't like the podcast at all, if you hate what I'm doing, maybe don't leave a review, you know? Um, and then also, I mentioned advertising on the podcast. But lastly, if you just need help in your business, you can always reach out. Um, and uh, my best, the best way for you to do that is my email, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. Um, don't yell at me about this episode. I, I literally, I'm just, I'm sharing with what, what literally what makes sense. So thank you. Those of you who have supported the podcast long-term, I so appreciate it. And all that to say, that's today's good advice. I'll catch you later. See ya.